Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Welcome to James River Church. We're in a series on the book of Acts that we've entitled Power Today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 8, where the title of the message is Power for Leading Others to Jesus. Power for Leading Others to Jesus. Remember in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said you'll receive power, that's dunamis, dynamic power, miraculous power, and here's what it'll do when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you'll talk about Jesus wherever you go. When you follow the Holy Spirit, one of the things you can't help but doing is telling others about Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. I want to ask you this question today. Who is God sending you to? Who has God put on your heart? Who is it that you're praying for and you're sharing Christ with? If you don't have anybody that you're witnessing to, it isn't because there aren't people around for you and I to reach, it's because you're missing the opportunities all around you. God has called us to be people who reach people. Having received the love of Christ, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Our job is not just to wait for people to come into the church. Our job is to go out everywhere we go and tell people about Jesus. That's what they did in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Everywhere, to anyone or everyone, they were telling them about Jesus. And Acts chapter 8 is a story of an individual by the name of Philip. He's not one of the disciples. He's not a preacher necessarily, though he does preach. He was a layperson, a man full of the Spirit. As he's scattered, he goes north of Jerusalem to Samaria and he preaches to crowds and people are healed and people are saved and it's a mighty revival. And then when you come to the latter part of Acts chapter 8, now he's not preaching to crowds, he's personally evangelizing one person. And so I want us to look at Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. We're going to look at Philip, and I want to give you three principles on personal evangelism. I hope you write them down, and that you'll ask God, God, make these a reality in my heart. Help me to be the kind of person who's telling others about Jesus everywhere I go, everyone I meet, that I'm willing to tell them about a wonderful God who is alive, who is powerful, who saves, who loves people, who heals people to tell them the good news of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Principle number one is this. Evangelism was never limited to the church gathering. 
You know, often we want to watch people come forward, and we're seeing that happen. I mean, a thousand people in April came forward to receive Christ, an amazing month, and already we're seeing hundreds of people in May who are coming to receive Christ. I've never seen anything like it, where so many people are receiving Christ, and God is powerfully changing their life, and it's wonderful. But the fact of the matter is this. Not everybody who needs Jesus is going to come to this church or any other church. In fact, I think it's safe to say most people who need Jesus are not going to come to this church or any other church. That's why you and I have to be willing to go where they're at. You and I have to be watching for people who don't know the Lord, and we need to go to them. We need to talk to them. We need to share Christ with them. That's what Philip does in Acts chapter 8. It's an example. It's actually a lesson for us in how to share Christ with other people. Because beginning in verse 26, Philip goes to share Christ. Now, look at it. This is a very interesting story. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. So God can talk to us in a lot of ways. He can speak to us through the Word of God as we're reading the Bible. We can hear him speak to us as we're praying, as we're spending time with him. The Lord talks to you. I want to just remind you of that. I don't know what your experience is. Some people are afraid to acknowledge that or admit that, but I'm going to tell you, the Lord speaks to our heart all the time. I mean, over and over in the Bible, I mean, 300 times in the NIV, it says, and the Lord said. So God is a God who talks to people. So he can speak to our heart. He can speak to us through the word. He can speak to us through a prophetic word from somebody else. He can talk. Have you ever been in a conversation? Somebody's talking to you, and all of a sudden you're aware that it's not just them talking, but God is talking to you through them, giving you insight into something you've been praying about. The Holy Spirit can talk to us. Here you've got an angel talking to Philip. We don't know anything about the encounter that he had with this angel. We just know it was an angel. And the angel said, go south to the road, the desert road. Now, uh, something to help you, because when we, we hear the word desert, we think of a real arid sand, you know, maybe a few cactus, maybe not even cactus. And, and we think of camels out there. We just kind of think of that being a desert. When you're reading the New Testament, this is something that is an interesting thing. Wherever it says desert, it literally means deserted. And think of like uh, an area with trees, Think of it could have hills, it could have trees, it could have streams. It just means there's no people out there. When you see the word wilderness, typically we would think of wilderness, the, the wilderness area. Jesus was tempted out in the wilderness. We think of the wilderness as having trees and streams. But no, when the Bible uses the word wilderness, it's actually talking about a desert. So it's just kind of, it's a little funky that it's that way, but that's how it is. So when he's going on the desert road, the desert road, the, it's a wilderness road. And if you've ever been on the Gaza road, it's, there's trees everywhere. It's hilly. It's actually quite beautiful until you get down on the plains of, of Gaza and get down by the Gaza Strip. Then it's much more like a desert. So this road that goes south out of Jerusalem is a trade route. 
It's going through an area that you could call deserted. There are occasionally people on it. And so the angel says to Philip, listen, you've been up north of Jerusalem ministering in Samaria, and it's been really, really great. And you know what our tendency is where it's really, really great and God's really, really using us? We're like, okay, I think I'm going to stay here because we get comfortable with what God is doing and how God is working. And God says, you know what, Philip, I've got another assignment for you. You've been ministering to crowds, but now I've got one person I want to send you to. Only notice he doesn't tell him that. We know that because we've read the rest of the story if you've read Acts 8. The angel just says, go. Go to that desert road. He doesn't tell him who he's going to see. He doesn't tell him what he's going to do. He doesn't even tell him where to go on that road. He just says, just start walking down that road. That road will go all the way to Africa. You know, a lot of times we want God to answer the who, the what, the when, the where, the why. And we're like, God, I don't, I don't feel like I have enough information to step out. What I want you to see here is the angel says, go, and he goes. When it comes to personal evangelism, I would suggest to you, because we're going to see it again in verse 29, this time in verse 29, the Holy Spirit's going to say, go. That's all he's going to do. I would suggest to you, when it comes to personal evangelism, the operative word is the same word Jesus used in Matthew chapter 28, and it's the word go. That if you're waiting for God to explain to you how it's going to go with that person that needs to know Jesus, and you're waiting for a bunch of information, you're going to miss the opportunity God had for you to be used by him. In fact, in almost all of our Christian service and our walk with the Lord, God tells us, go. And if we go, we get more information. And if we go, God opens doors. And if we go, God sets his hand on us. If we don't, we miss the opportunity completely. This week, God's going to speak to your heart and you're going to come across people in your path and you're going to hear the Spirit say, go, go. At that moment, you face a choice. Will you go without knowing? Will you go without having more information? Will you go saying, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen here, but this is going to be pretty crazy because God is telling me to go. And if he's telling me to go, he's got something for me and something for that person and I'm going. That's Philip. He goes down the road and he is on his way. He's going to go. You know, sometimes we have the idea that everybody's being reached, that everybody's, everybody's taken care of, and we especially have the idea that if people are going to be reached, they're going to be reached in church. But I want to suggest to you, if God is going to send a great awakening to southern Missouri, if God is going to send revival to this area, most people will not get saved in church. They will get saved outside the four walls of church. In fact, here's something very interesting. You know, a lot of times people have the idea, well, you know, Springfield's such a church area, and there's just so many churches. Listen, there's not close to enough churches. And we got to get over this idea that everybody's a Christian here. This is not a Christian area. 
How can you have the worst poverty in the state? How can you have the worst rate of domestic violence in the state? How can you have the highest rate of, of kids in foster care? How can you have Springfield listed as a violent city on several lists? How can you have all that and say we're a Christian city? We need to get over an illusion that somehow it's all being done. Not nearly enough's being done. There are tens of thousands of people who if every church was filled twice would not have a seat on Sunday. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I'm gonna use a study from 20 years ago, but there have not been that many churches built in the last 20 years to change it. 20 years ago, the greater Springfield area, the metro area had 306,000 people, a little over. Today it has 475,000 people. But 20 years ago, a guy did a study. What he did in the greater Springfield area, he counted all of the churches. There were 267 churches. He took the seating capacity. It was a little over 82,000. So if every single church was completely filled twice, you would have over 160,000 people in church, but there are 306,000 people who live in the area. Obviously, half of the people wouldn't even have a seat to sit in. The idea that somehow everybody who's gonna need to know Christ is gonna come to church is not true. That's why you and I need to hear the call of the Spirit and follow the command of the Lord Jesus. And we need to go. We need to go to the people outside the four walls. Go and share the gospel. Acts 8 tells me, even in the middle of nowhere, even on a deserted road, even in a place you don't think there would be somebody who needs to hear the gospel, there are people who need to hear it. That's why you and I have to go. The problem is a lot of times we don't see the condition of people. We don't see the needs of people. We're not aware of how many people really do not know Jesus. That's why we have to take to heart the words of Jesus in John chapter 4. Do not say four more months and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are white unto harvest. Listen, evangelism was never intended to be limited to the church said, I'm thankful for what God does. It's a part of what he wants to do. But it's just like this. If he's healing people on, on, in the services, it's because he wants us to go out and pray for people to be healed out there. If, he's, if people are coming to Christ in the services, it's because he wants you to be confident to see that there are, are people, lots of people who need to know Jesus and will open their heart to him if they just have an opportunity, right? Number two, evangelism almost was almost always initiated by the Christian. Now, we can find an, an example or two where it wasn't. The Philippian jailer, Acts 16, says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? He is a sinner on a silver platter. I mean, he's just right there, ready to be led to Christ. Every now and then that happens, but not normally. Most times, it's up to you and I to get to know the people, to reach out to the people, to make ourselves available to people. 
Look at it in Acts chapter 8 and verse 27. So he, that's Philip, he started out. Here's Philip. He starts out. He doesn't know for sure what's going to happen. He doesn't know where he's going to go for sure. He doesn't know who he's going to meet. He doesn't know how it's going to play out. So in verse 27, we read this. He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. And some of your translations say Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. But really, the term in the original, it's, a, it's like Pharaoh, the, the ruler of Egypt was called a Pharaoh. Uh, the Roman emperor, Caesar, was a title. It wasn't really their name. It was a title as the leader of the empire. Candake is the title uh, given to really not even the Ethiopians, but the Nubians. That's a generic term there. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So he's the treasurer. He's a court official in, in this country. He's going to Jerusalem to worship, which is very, very unusual. Here you have a Gentile who's interested in the God of Israel. He goes there, and on his way home, he's sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So Philip sees this Ethiopian official. He doesn't know the man. He doesn't know that the man has been worshiping in Jerusalem. More than that, he doesn't even know that the man would be able to speak his language. He may just be up there on official business in Jerusalem for all Philip knows. Verse 29, and the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Here's what's interesting. I think it's almost 12 times in the book of Acts, the Spirit says to believers, go. If you want to know what the Spirit of God is speaking to you and you know Jesus, the Spirit is saying, go, go, go. He says something different to unbelievers. In the Bible, he, to unbelievers, he says, come. Revelation 21, 22, the spirit and the bride, the brides of the church say, come. That's, the, that's the, the message we have for people who don't know Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. The spirit of God calling people to come. But here he's saying to Philip, go, go by that chariot. He has every reason not to go. I mean, think about this. There's, aside from the language barrier, he's a commoner. This is a royal official. He's, Philip's a Jew. He's an Ethiopian. You know, so here is Philip, and Philip goes up there, and he just is going to walk alongside this chariot. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he's going to need to initiate the conversation. So the first step is you got to get close to people. I mean, before you start talking to them, the first thing is you got to be willing to follow the Spirit and say, I'm going to go where he leads me. Now, let me give you just three steps in, in personal evangelism. The first one is to build a relational bridge. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. I mean, first of all, he's got to make the effort to get close. You know, people, unsafe people aren't necessarily going to come to you or to me. We need to go to them. This is, it requires effort. 
for Philip. He's got to run over there, and then he's got to keep up with the chariot. It's going to require intentionality on his part to get close. If we're going to reach people, we've got to intentionally say, how can I get close to people? What do I have to do? How can I get near them so that I have the potential to talk to them? If you don't get close to your neighbor, you're not going to be able to share Christ with your neighbor. If you don't go up to that person that you've never met, that you don't know, but you see them in a parking lot, you see them in a store, you see them wherever. If you don't, if you don't obey the voice of the Spirit and go and get close, nothing's going to happen. Notice as well, he heard. So now he's getting close and he is listening. You know, if, if we're going to reach people for Christ, people don't care. There's an old saying, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And the way people know how we care is when you and I are willing to listen to them, to let them talk, to hear what's on their heart, to hear what they're thinking, to hear what they're reading. Here's Philip, and he goes by there, and, and he's listening to that. Second, I want you to notice, the person, steer the person to spiritual issues. Here's Philip, he runs up to the chariot, heard the man reading the Isaiah the prophet, Philip asked this question, do you understand what you're reading? Now, that, that is such a great way to start a conversation, to ask a question. He simply, he simply asked a question. He opened the door, let the Holy Spirit guide the conversation, but it's a question. A great way to start a conversation is to ask a question. A great way to witness to people is to ask a question. One of the questions that you can ask, it's really a wonderful one, is if you listen long enough to see a need, say, would you mind if I pray with you right now? I mean, that is an absolute game changer. You know, I was thinking, I was in the... Uh, a little over a year ago in the hospital and with uh, the cancer deal and the infection. And, and so um, there's this nurse and, and his name's Peter. And, and so I say to Peter, I say, hey, Peter, um, do you believe there's a God? He's like, you know, I don't, I don't really know. He's a young guy. He says, I, I don't really know. And I've got to go. I've got to go check on another patient. I said, well, think about that while you're, while you're looking at your next patient, okay? <laughs> So then he comes back. <laughs> he kind of looked at me like, you're weird. And <laughs> so he comes back in. And when he comes back in, I, I, I say to him, I say, Peter, what could I pray with you about that if it happened, it would speak to your heart that there was a God who was personal enough to care about you and your situation and powerful enough to do something about it? He looked at me for a moment. He said, I'm going to have to think about that. I got another patient. So he leaves again, you know. So, I mean, it's not like we're having this, like, really heartfelt, meaningful conversation. We're just, but I'm just not letting him go. So he comes back in. I said, did you think about my question? He said, yeah. He said, I'm facing, I'm facing a, a board certification, and it's really huge for me. It's a specialized certification, and, and um, 
he said, I'm really concerned about passing it. He said, I've studied, but I've had a lot of friends who haven't passed it. And he said, it's expensive. Every time you take it, it's, it's a lot of money. So I said, well, well great. I said, um, what do you have to have to pass? He said, I got to have 70%. I said, well, let's ask God for an 80%, okay? So now to the students, let me just say, after you've studied, you pray those kind of prayers, but you don't replace study with those kind of prayers, okay? So just <laughs> trying to say, because... I don't know what she's saying. Pastor said, you know. <laughs> so anyway, we're praying, and we pray for him. Now, I never, I never knew what his test was, but his test was going to be in a, in a few days, and I gave him the name of a church, gave him the name of a pastor, gave him a name. I told another person in the hospital who was a believer, hey, listen, this is what's happening there, so follow up on it. But you see, that question of asking that, just asking somebody, do you believe there's a God? It's a very interesting question what people will say. And then beginning to ask other questions that give you the opportunity to pray with people. Um, too many times we feel like we have to have all the answers. And you say, what if they ask a question I can't answer? Here's what you say. That's a great question. Can I get back to you with the answer? And then you either go on Google and look it up or you call, call the church. Ask Chuck Greenaway. He's got all the answers. So, number three, <laughs> be ready to give a clear presentation. How can I, so Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I? Unless someone explains to me, explains it to me. So I invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. That passage is Isaiah 53, suffering servant, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of our peace was upon him, by his stripes were healed. All of those things that have to do with the death of Jesus and the forgiveness of sin. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've each one turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. I mean, those are all the verses that are in that, um, in that passage. Philip begins starting right there, which is such an amazing thing. I mean, he explains to him the verses he's looking at. You may not be a Bible scholar, but if you can just tell people simply what the gospel is, that there's a God who loves them, that he sent his son to die for their sin, that they might be forgiven and might have a relationship with God. You say, but how would they even understand if they know nothing about the Bible? Listen, you leave that up to the Holy Spirit. You just do what you can do and let him do what he will do. You and I, we don't have to do it all. It doesn't depend upon us. It depends upon him. And when we give him our little, he makes it much, right? I mean, I think of the story, one of my favorite stories is of a 14-year-old girl who went to this Buddhist priest. She had been saved, and she was going down her neighborhood. This is in Korea. She was going down the, to her neighborhood knocking on doors, and she would knock on doors, and when people would open the door, she would say, God has sent me to tell you about his love. And she came to this one door, and there was a young man there, and when she told him, he slammed the door shut. And this went on for 10 days. On the 10th day, the young man who happened to be studying to be a Buddhist priest and along the way had contracted tuberculosis and was spitting up blood, he said to her, what do I need to do so that you will leave me alone? 
that you'll promise you'll never come back. She said, if you will not listen to me because I'm a girl, then will you listen to the words of this book about Jesus? And she handed him a Bible. And so he was very, very weak. It's part of the reason why he didn't want to keep getting up and going to the door. And so he opened the book and he began reading in Genesis 1-1. And she was looking around and she saw, you know, that he was weak. And she saw the bucket of, with blood in it. And she said, excuse me, is this yours? And he said, yes. And she said, uh, I do not think you have time to start at the beginning of the book. And so <laughs> she moved him. <laughs> Seriously, this is a true story. She moved him to the book of Matthew. She said, start here. She left him when he got to the end of Matthew's gospel. He stopped to pray and he said, Mr. Jesus, if you are alive and you are God, you can forgive my sin and heal my body. Now I have been praying to Buddha and he has not answered me, but if you will heal me, I will tell everyone I know that you are the son of God. In that moment, he felt a warmness come over him, and he never coughed another drop of blood. He went down to a rescue mission in Seoul that was being run by an Assemblies of God missionary, and he began to disciple this man, and this man went on to found and lead the largest Pentecostal church in the world, a church that numbered 750,000 people. His name was Dr. Paul Cho. Listen, you and I don't know what God has for the people he's sending us to. Who would have thought that a young man studying to be a Buddhist priest, dying of tuberculosis, would become a world leader and would reach that many people for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I love about, about the gospel. The gospel opens people's eyes to the one thing they'll never know outside of receiving Christ, and that is the incredible purpose for which he created you. You're not here accidentally, and you're not here incidentally. You are here in God's purpose. Yes. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, He has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Before you were born, He prepared works for you to do. He prepared a path, a plan, a purpose for you. And it's only when you and I give our heart to Jesus that we really begin to understand this incredible purpose and his amazing love. And we know God in a way we never imagined possible. That's what evangelism is about. It's about showing people this incredible God who loves them more than they can imagine and caring enough about their soul to say, listen, everybody needs to have a chance to know our amazing God. I love this third point about evangelism. It's always preceded, preceded by God's prevenient grace. You say, well, what does that mean? Let me explain it this way. Prevenient grace is an idea that John Wesley was very big on. He's the founder of the Methodist Church, uh, was an evangelist that evangelized much of the frontier and, and the United States in the, in the um, early 1800s, late 1700s. But John Wesley taught that 
Before you and I go minister to somebody, God's already been working on them. He called it prevenient grace. If you and I convene a meeting, that means we're holding a meeting. To prevene means before the meeting, something is happening. In other words, what he taught was, before you and I ever go talk to anybody about the Lord, God has already been working on their life. Listen, I'm reminded of that every single week. I don't for a minute think that when people come forward to receive Christ, it's because the message I preached is what, what suddenly made them decide to receive Christ. Does God use it? Certainly. But God has been working. People have been praying for months, for years for those people. God has been working. I've, I've talked to enough people to know people were having encounters with God all along the way where God was stirring them, where God was working in their heart through conversations with others or through their own reaching out to God, that God is at work. Before you and I ever go to talk to any person you could ever imagine, God has already been there. He's already been working. He's already been preparing their heart. He was preparing this Ethiopian eunuch's heart. He'd been traveling all the way from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem, a, a journey of at least 600 miles. And all the way up, he's going up there, and when he gets to the temple, he sees the Judaism of Jesus' day, and because he's a eunuch, he's been castrated. To, that, that was a part of the preparation for working in the court. So he's been, he has, he's castrated, and that limits what he can do in the, in the temple worship at Jerusalem. He's a foreigner. He's not Jewish. That limits what he can do. And yet here's this man. You wouldn't think he'd be interested in the God of Israel, but he is. And he's on this journey, and he's on this search, and he's wanting to know this, this God of, of the Jewish people. And so he is. Here he is. He's reading the book of Isaiah, one of our biblical books. And Philip comes up to him. Philip doesn't know any of this. Philip just knows that the Spirit said, go, and then the, the Spirit says, run up by the chariot, and as he's there, he hears the guy surprisingly reading the book of Isaiah. But God has been working for days, for weeks, for months, for years. In the life of this man, Philip had no idea that was going on. And Philip says, how can you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, how, how can I? You know, unless somebody explains it to me. He says, listen, this is Jewish. You're a Jew. Can, can you explain this to me? And Philip starts with that passage and begins to explain to him the good news of the gospel. Listen, unless you and I are willing to run up to a few chariots, and where do you get the confidence to do that? Where do you get the nerve to do that? It's when you understand not only that the Spirit is saying, go, but he has gone before you. And he is at work in that person's life. It doesn't just depend on your ability to articulate everything. It doesn't just depend on how smooth you are or how erudite you are or how, how capable of a theologian you are. No, the Spirit of God is leading you to that person because the Spirit of God understands you're the right person to reach that person because the Spirit of God has been working on that person. Are you with me on that? So encouraging. Verse 36, look at it. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, 
here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Isn't this great? You know, in the book of Acts, people get saved, they get baptized. There's no, there's no waiting. There's no reason to delay it. Once you make the decision to give your heart to Christ, you get baptized in water. That's what happens. Here's this court official. They're going by, and he sees some water, and he says, hey, there's water. I can get baptized. And Philip says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can. Verse 38, he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, I mean, this again, we talk about an open heaven. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens were torn open. The spirit descended. Here you have the power of God at baptism. I'm just simply saying baptism is more than a ritual. It's more than just you getting wet. It's the heavens opening. It's the Spirit of God coming down. And whenever the Spirit of God comes down, powerful things happen. Here's the Ethiopian eunuch. They came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40, you say, where did Philip go? Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. As we bring this to a close, I wanna, I wanna just mention two things. If you know the Lord Jesus, then get ready because we don't come to hear the word of God just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, right? So whenever you and I hear the Bible preached, we need to expect, wow, God is telling me this because what I'm hearing, God is going to use in my life. He wants me to apply to my life. If I'm just a hearer and not a, a, a doer of the word, there's no blessing in that. So here's what you need to expect that this week, the spirit of God's gonna come to you. Some of you, it'll happen today. And he's gonna say, go, go. See that person, go. And in that moment, everything we've talked about is gonna be put to the test. Are you gonna be willing to say, you know what? I don't know, I don't know how this is gonna play and I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I do know the Spirit of God is saying go and I'm going. Unless I'm telling you, you don't have any reason to doubt if the Spirit of God says, go to somebody to share Jesus. It's the Spirit of God. So you don't need to say, I wonder if that's God. No, it's God. You know it is. Because he cares about people. So he's going to be sending you this week to share Christ, which ought to be so exciting. So just saying as we close, we're going to pray, Lord, go before us. Lord, may imagine if everybody in this room that's a believer walked out of these four walls and shared Christ with one person. Imagine. Amazing. Number two, some of you are here today and, and God has been working in your life for a long time. You know, He's, he's been at work, and the proof that he's been at work in your life. Let me say, there's some of you, you don't know the Lord as your Savior. You've never given him 
that open door. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open it, I'll come in. You've not, for whatever reason, opened the door, either because you didn't know you needed to or, or you've just put off the decision. And then there's others of you, and you would say, well, I opened the door, but you know today you're not walking with the Lord, and you're here in this place. And God has been working in your life. You say, how do you know? Because you're here. I mean, God, God's prevenient grace is at work. How else, why else are you here? You're not a believer, but you're here? The reason why you're here is because God loves you so much, he wants you to hear the gospel. He wants you to open your heart to him. He wants to do something in your life that's more powerful than you could possibly ever imagine. In your, in your wildest dreams, you couldn't imagine the goodness of God, the power of God, the joy of his forgiveness, the peace of knowing him in a way where you don't just know about him, but you really know him. Some of you would say, John, I knew, I, I, I knew the Lord at one time, but I got off, got sidetracked and for you, his prevenient grace has been at work because you thought maybe just a friend invited you or you just decided to come here, but no, I'm telling you, God's been working on you. God loves you way too much. He, Jesus tells the story of the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one, that's you. He's been going after you for a long time because he just loves you more than you can imagine. And in his working, in his prevenient grace, he brought you here today because he wants you to recommit your life to him. Or he wants you to open your heart to him for the very first time, whichever the case might be, that you might know his grace, his goodness, his power in ways you never imagined.